Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hi there. Coming up, Robert Falcon will let not answering my questions about the meth task force. We'll also talk to a mom whose daughter is addicted to meth, Lori Chapman. Try it out Tuesday. We're going to try Biltong, whatever that is. And Don Poitras, a former dialysis patient, now a kidney transplant recipient. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. On the phone, Robert Falcon Willette. He is the MP for Winnipeg Centre, and he was at that news conference this morning announcing this drug task force. Uh, Hi, uh, Robert, thank you. How are you doing? This is Robert. Yes, thank you, Robert. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. So, listen, we're talking about this with listeners, and we've been saying for a while around here, enough talk. Let's get down to action. What's your response to that? Because when we hear task force, we go, here we go. Months of talking about it and not getting anything done again. Well, for me, it's not just simply about talking about it, but also coordinating, I think, between people. And for me, the task force is about coordination between various levels of government. So, for instance, at the federal level, I've been working quite hard over the past uh, year, uh, two years, uh, one on first on opioids, uh, which, you know, is a major crisis in many other parts of the country and was for it started to look like it was going to be a major problem here in Winnipeg. Um, But uh, we've been working at the federal level trying to get money and resources out to the provinces and, and the cities and trying to modify our criminal uh, our laws around uh, use of, of drugs. And so I just really wanted to, uh, you know, say that, you know, we are taking action here in this case with the task force. The overall goal is actually make sure that we are actually coordinating those efforts because it's great that the federal government is doing something. It's great that the province is trying to do things uh, that they think are appropriate. And then the city is also obviously uh, working quite hard with police and and uh, the um, firefighters and dealing uh, with a lot of the, uh, the, the issues right on the ground and for businesses. But for, for me, how do we actually coordinate that all together? And so this is part of the issue that we're trying to look at is to make sure that this task force uh, helps us work together. And so we're hearing a final report will be available in June. Does that mean we'll see some of this coordination and action before June or only after that final report comes in? Well, like for instance, last week we, uh, the federal government, they made a uh, gave funding to the province of Manitoba of 4.2 million dollars to help with the meth crisis. We signed a bilateral agreement. They also chipped in 4.2 million, and so 8.4 million for overall to help to, with the meth crisis. Uh, the province is supposed to be moving ahead with trying to create more treatment beds, uh, more capacity, as the province says. But really what we're looking for is more treatment because we know meth is a major issue and that often the types of treatments available aren't long enough. So people often have treatments in community of 28 days, but we know that people who are on meth can need up to uh, three months of uh, of treatment uh, to ensure that they don't uh, relapse. And that's what we want to see is people who are the, the uh, our major users um, you know, we make sure that we get them out of the healthcare system, we get them off the streets, we get them into safe environments, and we create a safe environment for everyone else in society. And this is part of the issue. And for me, uh, what I've been doing in Ottawa is advocating, advocating, and and making sure the federal government's moving in that direction. And so they, uh, the federal government put together $150 million for the whole country, and the portion that's available to Manitoba was the $4.2 million. 
And I understand that, and that's money that was announced, as you said, last week. But I'm talking about today, and we're hearing that this task force final report won't be available until June. So I'm just curious, does that mean the coordination will begin immediately, or are we waiting until the report comes out in June and then the action begins? Well, I think there's a, a few major questions that uh, need to be addressed uh, by the task force. Um, you know, uh, where can we do more prevention, treatment, and deterrence in use of illicit drugs, uh, looking at practices employed in other jurisdictions and what works, uh, if there should be any changes to the criminal code, uh, you know, make sure that we are listening to healthcare professionals, social service providers, law enforcement officials, first responders, and how do we actually communicate this information to the biz, uh, to the community, to business, uh, uh, you know, businesses, and other vulnerable populations about the dangers of illicit drug use. But, you know, this is just, you know, for instance, at the federal level, you know, we put in place a $40 billion national housing strategy, and $2.2 billion of that is for homelessness. So we know in Manitoba, since I've been elected, we've done two censuses for the very first time. And we discovered we had 14 and 1,500 uh, people who were homeless in, in, in Winnipeg. That's, an, that's a lot of people. Uh, Vancouver, as an example, has 2,000. So we know the needs are greater, and we know when you're on the streets, uh, you know, you know, you there are. It's a very stressful life to live on the streets. It's very difficult, and often people do self-medicate uh, using uh, illicit or illegal drugs like meth, and this creates chaos uh, for a, a lot of other people. And and, and with, and with respect, I'm, I'm emergency s- wards. I'm sorry, we're just about out of time, and I just I want to try one more time, and, and that's great, and I agree, homelessness is part of this, and that's again an announcement that's already been made. But if this well, is added, announced, so, but, but, so what's been announced is so we put that 2.2 billion. Now what we're doing is working with Main Street, Siloam, and uh, Salvation Army right. to ensure that they can actually get access to those funds, so they actually can build something and housing first to make sure that there's wraparound services, so we get someone who's homeless off the street, we can get them into a house uh, or a, an apartment, make sure that they're successful in their transition from the street into the house that they can get the educational supports they need so they don't uh, relapse and start using. And we need to make sure those wraparound supports are actually at 2 o'clock in the morning and not at uh, 4 o'clock when it's a 9 to 5. It's not a 9 to 5 job uh, when you try and get someone off the street. You need to make sure you're looking after someone all the time because, you know, the consequences of just letting them relapse are what you see in the downtown core right now. I have boarded up homes uh, just uh, blocks away from where I am. I have at least 10 I counted uh, in the last uh, few weeks, uh, you know, this is a problem and we need to address it. And for me, we're trying to take action right away, but we're also trying to coordinate that action and ensuring, for instance, that the province and the city have the resources they need in order to uh, fight the illicit drug trade, that they also have the access to make sure that they have the mental health supports, that they have the uh, uh, treatment beds available and that the treatment beds are long-term and that they support people's actual, uh, the stopping of use of people who, uh, of, of drugs by people who are vulnerable and who have uh, major addiction issues. And I think that's part of what we're trying to do. No, no question. I don't, I don't argue that at all. It is definitely part of it. I'm just trying to find out if we're waiting until June before we see any further action or if things are going to start happening immediately with this task force. Well, for me, uh, the task force has a report to do in June. Uh, there are other a- efforts that we need to do uh, on this time um, between now and June as well. Like, for instance, the federal government has a, a program, $327 million to fight uh, gangs and gang-related activity. And, and I'm trying to make sure that we can get to the youth 
uh, and get programs out for youth uh, in, in the inner city and in other suburbs uh, across Winnipeg to make sure that we're actually doing the proper intervention with youth, that those programs are responsive. Because, you know, all these things are, are interconnected in some way, and we need to make sure that, uh, you, know, you know, just because we're waiting for some report that we're not stopped work. Uh, the report, though, is going to help guide us about uh, to make sure that we're doing the right interventions. And, All right, uh, and so I think that's really important to think yeah. about because you know we could say we're going to do something like, for instance, right now at the federal level, we're doing a study, um, uh, you know, calling in service providers and people who are on the ground at the health um, the health committee, the standing committee of the House of Commons on Health, and we're questioning uh, what people are doing, what police services are doing across the country, how deep this problem is. We've discovered, for instance, Vancouver at their safe injection sites, fifty percent of the users are using meth and other. Uh, and, and other drugs, and combining and mixing many of these drugs at the same time, and I think this is a this is a you know it's interesting to learn. It's not just a problem folk uh, found in Manitoba or in the prairies or in indigenous communities. It's found right across the country, and it's gaining momentum. Thank you for your time. I'm right out of time. I got to let you go. Thank you very much. Okay, that way. Robert Falcon will at Winnipeg Center MP. Could I have asked that a different way and got a different answer? I don't know. I I and again, he just kept going back to what is being done or, you know, stuff that we've already talked about that's been announced. I don't know. I, I didn't, I don't think I got an answer to my question. Are we going to see action before June or after June when this final report comes out? I think we're beyond, I think we're at the point now where we got to start seeing some action. Uh, right now, joining us on the phone, Lori Chapman. Uh, her daughter is addicted to meth. And Lori, you've been on our air before. And I feel like you've really added a lot to uh, uh, the discussion about the meth crisis. I mean, you're living it. And I appreciate a few minutes here today. Thanks a lot for doing this. I greatly appreciate you guys, too, for keeping this conversation open. Yeah. What do you think of this idea of a task force? The province, the city, and the feds announced today a task force final report expected in June. Okay, well, uh, definitely a step in the right direction. We need to stay focused on the crisis. I guess that's the word that's being used right now. Uh, It needs to stay in the forefront. It needs a voice. Um, A task force is, uh, I'm not not sure exactly what it's going to look like in the end. I'm hoping uh, it'll uh, keep the... Um, hard to explain. Keep everything going on it, um, but we do. I'm not sure how much they're going to be looking at uh, uh, treatment centers and um, support for the addicts um, and the families. I know they were talking about uh, dealing, talking to, and focusing on the front line staff like hospital workers and police, which are really important and definitely do handle the right up front in your face. But I think also included in that should be the families because when you live with a meth addict, there's no more front line than that. Yeah, no kidding. I want to. I wasn't sure if I was going to play this for you while you're on with me, but I think I'm going to. I want to play a sure. clip. Uh, Premier Palster, Brian Palster today, sat down with Global News reporter Brittany Greenslade for a year-end interview, and a lot of the interview focused on the meth crisis after today's okay. announcement. Mm-hmm. And I want to play a short clip here. Uh, this is what Premier Palster said when asked if we're doing enough 
about okay. the meth crisis. And his comment shocked me, and I want to get your reaction. Take a listen. As long as a problem exists, there'll be some who say we should spend more on it. Uh, I don't want to take limited resources away from kids who have cancer and didn't do anything to deserve it. What do you think of that? What? <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm with you, Hal. That's shocking. Um, I, I, I understand that they're two differently, completely different situations, but meth is a monster, and I can't believe that he would say, I don't want yeah. to spend any more and take away from kids. How dare he say that one has to suffer for the other? Um, I don't get it. Yeah. So I'm not very confident in what he's going to have going forth. So we need to keep pressuring him. And I'm not always sure just as a lay person where to go. My voice has been fortunately through the media have been very gracious with coming and speaking to me, whether it be television interviews or on the radio. And I will continue to uh, show my support and if I need to do more, I will. I'm just not sure where to turn. Yeah. So well, just keep telling your story, Julie or uh, Lori. Just keep telling your story. Just mm-hmm. keep getting it out there. And as I said, I hesitated whether I wanted to play that for you or not because I feel like you've right. been through enough. And I yeah. think there were better ways for him to say that. I can't believe he said it. I, yeah. my jaw literally dropped when I heard that. I, I, yeah. I was I was surprised as well because, listen, whether it's cancer or meth or whatever the challenges that we face, we're yeah. all Manitobans. He is our premier. These are our children, and I, she's a grown woman now, but they're still our children, and 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 I can't just sit by and families that are destroyed, communities that are destroyed. And being destroyed, and it's not going to get better until we deal with this head on. Yeah. Well, earlier I had Robert Falcon Willett, who, of course, is the MP for Winnipeg Centre, and he represented the feds at the news conference today about the meth task force. And I tried to get a straight answer out of him. I said, do we have to wait for this final report in June, or will we see action in the meantime? And mm-hmm. he avoided the question every time. I asked it at least three times, and he kept talking about what they've done in the past, what they're doing, and he would not give me a straight answer because I personally, and I haven't I haven't dealt with this the way you're dealing with it, but mm-hmm. I think it's enough talk. We need more action. It's a crisis. Let's start treating it like one. We don't need another six months. He called it coordination. We need to coordinate things. We don't need another six months of coordination. We need action. Right. Yeah, and I'm sure if you talk to the nurses in the emergency rooms, the police that are out on the street dealing um, families, if you talk to anybody enough with the coordinating, we need to act now. Um, I'm not uh, in a position where I can set up and coordinate, as they would say, what this is going to look like, but definitely would be willing to lend my unfortunate expertise in this. Yeah, and we need yeah. to do we need to do this now for you 
Lori, for your daughter, and we need to do it for people that might be attacked by somebody who is high on meth and injured. We need to do it for people who are seeing their cars broken into. They're getting held up and robbed for that $5 for another hit of meth. We need to do this for all of us. If you've ever lived through a meth psychosis, it's unbelievable how... They're no longer a person even anymore. That psychosis takes over. Your loved one is gone. That person is no longer. You're you're dealing with a as a, a monster. Meth is evil, and um, it's so frightening. I can't. I I had no idea what that drug was capable of doing to a person, and it's frightening. Lori, best of luck to you and your daughter, and thank you for doing this. Thank and just keep telling everybody your story. I will. Yeah, I will. I'm going to have to write a letter now to Mr. Pallister. Good for you. Thanks, Lori. Yes. Thank you, Hal. Lori Bye-bye. Chapman, her daughter is addicted to meth. And now it's time for Try It Out Tuesday. We got a winner. Yeah, try it out Tuesday. I am excited. We are not going to try out one thing today. We are going to try out two things today. Cam Poitras producing the show. So first of all, Megan and Jeremy Silcox are here. Guys, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming in. Uh, I think it was Megan's brother who listens every day. Thank your brother for me. Thanks, Um, Matt. He said, uh, hey, you got to get a hold of Hal Anderson. He does this thing called Try It Out Tuesday, and you guys have a product called Mr. Biltong Beef Jerky, correct? Yes. That's that's right. Yeah, it's radio, so we have to talk. They're trying to figure out who's (laughs) going to answer the question. Uh, You guys must have a happy marriage. That's obvious you have a happy marriage. So, um, Megan, you and your uh, email to me said it's – it's like beef jerky, but it's better than beef jerky, and it comes from South Africa, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, Jeremy lived down in South Africa for a couple of years for his job as an engineer, mm-hmm. and their biltong is everywhere. It's uh, every shopping mall, everywhere you can go, you can pick up some biltong. So basically, it's like beef jerky, but the process is different in that it's a cured and dried beef instead of a spiced and baked beef, which is jerky. Ah. So you end up with a lot more tender product. It's uh, more more moist, easier to chew, and we think a little bit more delicious, too. Excellent. Okay, I've got uh, the original flavor. I have the spicy cow. Diane and Cam, you in the other room uh, there have the. Uh, I have the red hot uh, habanero picante. All right, I'm okay. gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna try the original here. And uh, so, Jeremy, I'm curious to know why were you in in South Africa? What took you to South Africa? Well, I worked for an engineering consulting firm, so I was there working on a nickel refinery expansion. Um, but I, I fell in love with biltong. I was never a big jerky guy, but I couldn't get enough of that stuff, and. I got pretty hooked on it. So it is excellent, eh? It's really, it's really good. I, Thank you. I sometimes, yeah. and maybe it's because I'm getting older and my teeth aren't what they used to be, but I sometimes find beef jerky really difficult to eat because it is hard. I like the flavor, but this is very tender. Yeah, it's that's a, one of the things that I, I really yeah. liked about it. And so, because you couldn't really get it in Winnipeg back, that was like 10 years ago, I learned mm-hmm. how to make it for myself. And then because I'm an engineer, I, I made spreadsheets and started playing with recipes and yeah. like running different trials <laughs> until I finally sort of honed in on the, the recipes that you're tasting now. And Megan, what is, I'm eating the original here. 
That's what right. is the uh, what's the flavor like? What are can you tell me a bit about the secret recipe or not really? Sure thing. Um, there's some white pepper, black pepper, coriander. Those are the main flavors that you're going to get in there. One thing you'll notice if you flip it over is that there's a lot less sodium than your conventional jerky, and also there's basically no sugar at all, so it makes it a lot healthier than conventional jerkies out there. Yeah, it's very cool. It's definitely not as salty. Like it's 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 way less salty. I think way more flavorful. Yeah, it is, and. I'm I'm surprised how tender it is. Yes. Yeah. What's a bag like that worth? It's uh, just for people listening. It's 95 grams. So those go for 9.95. That's a good deal, I think. Hey, eh, Cam, for oh, beef yeah. jerky. Well, mm-hmm. it's not beef jerky. It's like beef jerky. It's biltong, but um, you get a bit more than than a regular beef jerky bag as well. So what does the uh, name mean? Do you know? Well, biltong is what the product's actually called. Um, but is there a is there a it, it literally translates as rump strip. Oh, <laughs> well, well, there you go. Here, would you like some rump strip? <laughs> it's very tender. Yeah, it is very, very tender. tender. It strip. is excellent. Now, where can people get this? We've got a number of different uh, retail locations uh, that sell our products around the city. The best thing to do is go to our website, mrbiltong.ca, and on there there's a map in the buy local section. But uh, a few of our, our, our main vendors, we've got Stone Angel Tap Room, uh, Montague and St. Vitale Center, uh, Parkland Coffee on South Osborne. Yeah. Formagerie Bothwell on Provence, and a number of other places around the city. Website's good, though. Mr. (laughs) M.R. Biltong, B-I-L-T-O-N-G dot C-A. That's right. Mr. Biltong dot C-A. Well, it is excellent, guys. I am going to be... I am going to be a customer. Yeah. And yeah, what I like about it too is um, I got the red hot habanero and it's it's hot. You can taste the heat, but it's not too, it's yeah. not like too hot that it's like I can't enjoy it. You know right. what I mean? That's I really like that about mm-hmm. it. Excellent. Now, will you guys help us out? Because we are also trying out today mm. from our friends Mr. at Torque Brewing, their brand new winter survival pack. It is a six pack of beer. And <laughs> Cam already, I love the names. Cam already took, uh, which one did, oh, Dark. I got, I got Dark by Three. Dark by Three, yeah. which is great. There's, uh, you guys pick, Jeremy, you first. Would you like to try 40 Below? Um, a bunch of symbols, it's cold, so <laughs> it's cold. Uh, knee Deep, Parking Ban, or Snow Blind? Go with Snow Blind. And uh, Megan, what would you like to try? Um, I think I'll take the It's Cold one. There you go, and that's that one right there. And there's Snowblind, and I am going to try. Uh, I'm going to try Parking Ban. So I'll just tell you a little bit about the. Go ahead, guys, try it out, and I'm curious to go around the table and see what you think. Um, obviously, this is a real cool idea. The alcohol uh, levels range from five and a half to eight percent. So obviously, drink in moderation. Uh, the cheeky Winnipeg winter names, yeah. And uh, by the way, forty below. Who took forty below? I grabbed Snowblind here. I've got the It's Cold. I don't think anybody took 40 Below. 40 Below, by the way, I'm told, is brewed with locally roasted sheepdog coffee company coffee. Hmm. And you can uh, you can get these uh, winter survival six, pack, six packs from Torque Brewing at Liquor Marts and Better Beer Stores. So, Jeremy, tell me what you got again and what do you think of it? So I've got Snowblind. It's a wee heavy, they call it. It's a strong beer. It's nice. It's it's pretty smooth. It's full bodied. Yep. It says uh, it pairs well with pushing out a stranger's car, and I can. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Very creative, Torque and Megan. Uh, I've got the. It's cold. It's a double IPA. It's also eight percent, so you can you can really oh, taste that. Wow. 
and it pairs well with brushing off the car beside you. <laughs> I think it definitely tastes like a winter beer. It's a good one. Yeah, and that's the point of this, too. These beers are sort of good winter beers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Cam, what have you got? I got uh, Dark by Three. Oh, yeah. It's a wheat wine. Whatever mm. one that's new to me. I've never heard of yeah. that before. Mine par- pairs well with jump-starting a friend's uh, ride, which is something I've done a bunch of times. And it's 8%, so don't tell the boss. There you go. <laughs> and I've got Parking Band, 6.5%, balanced and bold. And uh, I'm going to try it right now. Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to have some more Biltong. <laughs> and then I'm going to have some of my parking bin. And then the rest of the show is canceled. <laughs> hey, uh, Megan and Jeremy, thank you very much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your great product. Man, it's fantastic. Mr. Biltong, M-R-B-I-L-T-O-N-G dot C-A. It's fantastic, and I like to support local, and I wish you guys a lot of luck, and thanks for helping us out with the Torque Beer, okay? Well, Thank thanks you. very much. Appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a break, and Cam, you uh, that's it. You put all that down now. Because I want to try some of the, uh, I want to try some of the uh, jalapeno. Uh, it's it's really good. I'll I'll, I'll run I'll run, sh- run some over to and you. And no more beer because you've got to push buttons. Eight percent. I'm already. I could. I can uh, fake I... my way through the show after drinking. <laughs> I you can't. can't. There's I can't. too much work on that side. <laughs> Let's talk to somebody who's been through dialysis and now has a kidney. And it just so happens that the producer of this show. Cam Poitras, his dad, Don Poitras, was a dialysis patient and now has a kidney. And he joins us on the phone here. Hi, Don. Hi, Al. Hey, nice to talk to you. First of all, I got to tell you, you got a good kid there. He's a good guy. I know I do. (laughs) You did a great job with him. Thank you. So how long were you a dialysis patient? We'll get to your kidney in a moment. How long were you a, a dialysis patient? I believe I was on dialysis for about uh, four years. Four years. And tell me what yeah. that was like. I just, I summed it up in a sentence. You know, it takes a lot of time. There might be food and drug restrictions. You got to constantly, essentially get your blood cleaned. But, I mean, it, it, it must have been difficult, eh? Like, wow, I can't imagine. Yeah, it was a real pain. I was going in three times a week. Um, go in to get your blood hooked up to the machine and... Um, Get your blood. Before that, I was four years on the hemodialysis, but I was also on peritoneal dialysis. It's a different type of dialysis that uh, you do at home. And that and one's uh, that, sorry. That one's kind of like a almost like a chemical dialysis that you can do at home, right? Right. You get the bags, and you get a little warming machine, and you put yeah. that on there, and you, you plug in, and you go to sleep, and you mm. wake up in the morning, and during the night, it it flushes refills and flushes mm-hmm. and uh, remo- removes uh, what the hemo does. Yeah. Uh, but it's a little more convenient because you're not traveling three times a week. But, um, yeah, I got an infection in my peritoneal area, and uh, so that was removed, and then I went on the hemodialysis. And I was on that for about four years. Yeah, and you go in three times a week, and after you go through that dialysis, do you feel really good? Or, like, what happens when you're getting close to going in for dialysis again? Do you get tired? Like, what's the impact of... uh... Yeah, you could feel like you're restricted with your fluids, and, you know, uh, I'd have a small glass of water and limit myself all the time to to what you were drinking because you know you're just going to be on the machine pumping that out. So 
I think generally I was taking like three liters off out of the blood, three mm-hmm. liters of fluid and garbage um, every time I went in. Yeah, and you did that for yeah. four years. Uh, and yeah, I mean, just imagine having to go. Uh, and then how long would you be there? Three times a week for how long? Uh, I would take a good part of an afternoon. I think it was hooked up, if I remember correctly, about three hours or so. Mm-hmm. I was at the St. Boniface Clinic there, and you sit in the room. Uh, I uh, graduated up into the chair area where I was able to sit up and uh, hook you up, and I'd fall asleep basically yeah. for the three, three hours I was on it. Kind of like a part-time job that you don't like going to. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't fun at all. Yeah. And then you found out, so you're on a list waiting for a kidney. Is that how it works? Yes. And then what was that like when you got the call? Don, we got a kidney for you. Uh, I was unbelievable. I was uh, sitting in my truck in my yard. Uh, doing. I'm a locksmith, so I was doing some work. And I got the call, and uh, they said, well, we have a kidney, a uh, possible kidney. We want you to come in, and uh, I guess they want to make sure you're not sick, so the operation and all that. Um <clears throat> So I kind of got off the phone and I was just dumbfounded and, you know, just kind of lost for a moment. Then I phoned some people uh, to let them know and there's lots of tears. But uh, I ended up going in, had my father take me in and uh, I walked into the administration in the hospital and they took my name and information and said had a seat and I sat in a room with the two other people and they were there for a kidney transplant as well. So I guess they had called a few people in case for some reason you weren't uh, eligible that day or for whatever reason it wasn't matched enough or whatever. And then they moved us upstairs into the, in the hospital into another room and there was a, a fourth person there. So I thought, okay, we're in for a fight here. <laughs> You're ready. You're ready to fight for that kidney. It's yours. <laughs> but uh, the miracle happened that night, Hal, and uh, all four of us, believe it or not, got a kidney that day. Isn't that so, great, eh? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. It was very emotional, and uh, the greatest thing ever. When I woke up in the morning after the operation, and I had a pee, <laughs> something I hadn't done in years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's really eh? awesome. It's, um, you know, and it, and, and, and I, I don't want to interrupt you. I want you to continue with the story. But as you said that, what came to my mind is, you know, you got nothing if you don't have your health, right? And when we lose something as basic as the ability to go for a pee, when we get that back, I mean, it's huge. It is huge. And now it's been, it's been 11 years, I think, uh, just over, I think it was November 2007 is when I had the transplant. Um, so it's been just over 11 years and just had blood work done recently and everything is still working very well. I got a very good kidney, uh, very thankful for it. I don't know who the donor was. I wanted to, but I guess with the privacy laws and stuff now in place that they, uh, they don't, uh, allow you to contact, uh, the people who donated or the person who donated or the family of the people who donated your 
he sort of wrote, I wrote them a letter to tell them what it meant to me and how thankful I was for it. Uh, and uh, that's about as far as I got that way. Yeah. But, yeah somebody, yeah. Uh, interesting that somebody somehow lost their life and yours got a whole hell of a lot better, eh, Don? Yeah, it really did. And, and that was a big thing with me. It's like uh, somebody died. Somebody died for this. And, uh, you know, gives you a whole different perspective on life. And, uh, you know, over 11 years, you kind of, you kind of lose a lot of that and you, you sort of carry on. And, but, uh, yeah, and talking about it again is good for me because it kind of puts me back there again and, uh, how much I appreciate, uh, the gift I was given. Yeah, no, I understand completely. And so now are you one of these people out there now with this new, well, it's not a new kidney, but your uh, kidney of 10 or 11 years ago that changed your life? Are you now out there saying to people, go to signupforlife.ca and make sure you let people know that if something does happen, your organs are available for others? You know, I don't do it enough, and I I think I I plan that I will be doing that more. Um, Another thing I... I remember that time, like, I was kind of scared and thinking, mine might kick in again. I don't want to get another one and then, you know, ruin the chances of having my own comeback. But I'll tell you, if anybody has that decision to make and has a question or anything they want to ask me, you can get a hold of me through Cameron. Um, But the best decision I ever made is to go ahead with it. And, uh, yeah, it's been wonderful. Well, Don, I really appreciate you telling us your story. I was really excited when Cam said, yeah, my dad's willing to come on and talk about it. And I think it's important because I think conversations like this, when people hear how your life was changed, it is simple and easy just to go to signupforlife.ca and make sure that your organs, as long as you're cool with that, and I understand you know, some people maybe for religious reasons aren't okay with that. But if you are okay with your organs going to somebody in need, I think it's really important to have conversations like this because it reminds people to do it. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm so, so, so grateful. Well, yeah. I'm really glad things are, are much better for you, Don. And thanks again for, for telling us about it. I appreciate it. All right. Thank thanks a lot. And Cameron, I love you, boy. Love you too, Dad. <laughs> that is uh, Don Poitras, uh, Cam, producer of the show, Cam Poitras. That's his uh, his dad. Uh, he's got a kidney 10 or 11 years ago, and I was watching Cam while I was talking to your dad, and even you're in there getting emotional, and I'm sure it, it took you back to that time when your dad was, was dealing with all that and, and uh, the hope that maybe one day he'll get a kidney and and then he got it and how his life changed. And as he said, the best thing ever was when he got up and went for a pee. Yeah. Well, I remember the, uh, I remember the day that we got the call and, uh, yeah, yeah, it was pretty awesome. I, I used to sit at, sit in dialysis with him all the time mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it was just to just sit there to keep him company. We played cards and just, yeah. you know, laugh at movies that we like and stuff like yeah. that. And, uh, I remember the day we got the call and, uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Yeah, great story. And uh, Don and Cam, I really appreciate you guys uh, sharing the story. Like I said, I think if nothing else, uh, it reminds people to go to signupforlife.ca. It's real easy. Signupforlife.ca. 
Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.